G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Today we'll get a focus on academic freedom. We may well talk about some other issues as well, but the conversation today around academic freedom in Australia and concerning diminishing freedom of speech, becoming more clear that people can lose their job for the crime of daring to express an opinion that challenges the dogmatic assumptions of the country's academic elite. Now, you may be familiar with the story that has come out of North Queensland. Despite his stellar career and contribution to the scientific debate, Professor Peter Ridd lost his position as head of the physics department for questioning a rigidly enforced orthodoxy around climate change. Now, he was working for James Cook University. Peter Ridd was sacked from James Cook University in 2018 after making public criticism of his colleagues' research on the impact of global warming on the Great Barrier Reef. Now, initially, the federal court found in his favour and in fact awarded him $1.2 million in damages. But James Cook University has won an appeal against that decision. And now Peter Ridd is taking his wrongful dismissal on principle to the High Court. Now, there's something hugely important about this case that affects every thinking Australian. And this is where our discussion will go today with our special guest, legal philosopher, Professor Augusto Zimmerman, who's back with us today to talk through what it means to have free intellectual inquiry in relation to learning and teaching and research. And we'll talk about what happens if we lose that freedom. Professor Augusto Zimmerman is head of law at Sheridan College in Perth and Professor of Law Adjunct at the University of Notre Dame, Australia, Sydney campus. Uh, He wears a lot of hats on a lot of different areas. We'll talk about some of those things potentially very soon too, but a special welcome back to 2020 to Professor Augusto Zimmerman. Thanks, Neil. It's a great pleasure to talk to you. Augusto, let's talk academic freedom because this is one of many planks of our freedom, and this particular case brings into focus just how challenging it is if we lose our academic freedom. What are your thoughts around the developments so far with Professor Peter Reid? Uh, to be frank with you, this is uh, not an exception to the rule. Uh, this university has been uh, a culprit in a... Uh, I would even use the word persecuting people. Uh, we have uh, other academics who used to work at... Uh, this uh, same university, when I mean, they have been uh, facing all sorts of problems. I can refer to Mervyn Bandel, for instance, uh, a very acclaimed uh, 
political theorist, and Bob Carter, uh, who was also um, a very prominent academic and a geologist. And uh, all these people have been uh, facing a terrible, a terrible time and lost their jobs ultimately as a result of um, making statements that contradict the dogmatic assumptions of the uh, academic elites in this country that have uh, unfortunately become each day more intolerant of uh, diverse ideas of uh, academic freedom. When we talk dogmatic assumptions, Augusto, and uh, I know listeners will be able to feel something in this idea of the climate change debate, uh, where those who are dogmatic about the fact of climate change are very intolerant to anyone who comes up with any sort of alternative research. And so uh, their frustration gets to a point where they say, we won't tolerate that anymore, and therefore we've got to get rid of those who are dissenting. And that's the challenge here, isn't it? Getting rid of those who are, have a dissenting view. Perhaps because they might uh, be worried about losing the argument. Uh, it's a very uh, understandable thing when you don't have a good argument that you appeal to the courts or, or use bullying strategies, bullying strategies. Uh, and I suspect that, that those who use this sort of... Uh, of uh, avenues, they tend to be the ones who perhaps are not confident about uh, the quality of their research. And one thing you, you, everybody has to, to understand is that uh, sometimes these people obtain grants uh, and, and government uh, gives them uh, money for research, and they feel that their authority and their source of financial revenue can be compromised if the truth of the matter is ultimately exposed. So keeping your position as perhaps the head of a department, a senior professor in a university, uh, might be wanting everybody to be on the same page so that funding will continue in a certain way. And you can understand how climate change might be that sort of, uh, uh, that sort of issue that might attract uh, that level of funding because everybody's interested in uh, the climate change and the alarmism that goes on around the world. So, so if you are a professor in a senior role, you want to keep some level of uh, equilibrium. Uh, you don't want anyone rocking the boat because you don't want to upset the funding that comes to your department in the university. Do you think that is the biggest issue here? That is one of the main uh, concerns that I have. I think about the fact that in the past we had um, breakthroughs in the scientific realm. And it seems that now, if you dare to expose a, a different opinion, and perhaps your opinion is not just a, a mere opinion, but it's based on a very solid uh, research investigation of the matter. If you um, find out that there is something uh, different about what the consensus tries to um, uh, expose, uh, this person will be considered a pariah and ultimately ostracized by the inner circle who wishes basically to continue the narrative as presented by this group. So, Professor Peter Reed, 
and now he's taking this uh, defence to the High Court. Uh, this is particularly important because the High Court is the highest court in the land and so their decision will be very important for academic freedom everywhere. I imagine this is the reason why this is so important because academic freedom uh, will actually uh, rise or fall on a decision of the High Court around Peter Ridd. Is it that important? It is very important and one thing that is uh, uh, quite amazing uh, in a negative way, is the fact that judges who decided at the level of appeal uh, with the taxpayers' money, as uh, you have mentioned, uh, this university has appealed from the first level decision of the judge who uh, decided in favor of this professor. Um, the decision was uh, utterly bizarre, in my opinion, because uh, the law uh, uses terms such as academic freedom and freedom of intellectual inquiry, and these um, uh, uh, terms have to be then applied, first interpreted and then applied by, by members of the judiciary, because that's the role of judges. They have to apply the law. And what happened at the uh, appeals level is that the um, uh, judges decided that they didn't have to interpret what these uh, um, uh, terms actually mean. And as a result, they refused to acknowledge the need for academic freedom because ultimately they uh, um, argued that uh, academic freedom is just a matter of opinion when uh, the requirements of the law and the re relevant regulations are very clear that universities have to uh, um, uh, comply with the determinations uh, in regards to in regards to academic freedom and uh, inquiry. Uh, so, this especially if it's very important, and I hope that the High Court will have a commitment to restore academic freedom in this country. The, the decision that will be uh, made by the High Court is extremely important for the future of academic freedom in Australia. Uh, Augusto, when you've got ideological alignment of universities, it might be an entire university, perhaps there's going to be a division uh, between universities. Some will take one ideological alignment and others a different position. But if you have a university, any university that has a singular ideological alignment, uh, isn't that the recipe for having no freedom of academic expression? Look, uh, it's it's an interesting thing that uh, Greg Craven, who happens to be uh, the vice chancellor of a Catholic university, uh, he made the point very clear that it seems that that particular institution, who which in theory would be upholding uh, or preferring the Catholic worldview, ultimately provides for more, far more freedom of inquiry and freedom of speech and freedom of academic freedom than any other of these so-called uh, government-owned secular universities in this country. And it is really uh, an unbelievable thing that, for instance, here at Sheridan, I have never faced any instance of academic persecution or academics coming to me to uh, bully and harass me. But um, I have had other experiences uh, academically because I have been in academia for 20 years. And I can tell you that some of these uh, 
fellow colleagues in academia, they are uh, extremely um, uh, intolerant of diverse opinions. Uh, I can remember, for instance, the, um, uh, during the marriage debate, when I dare to say that I, I, I thought that the best option to go was to define the, the, the meaning of marriage according to the words of the dictionary of the day. And I was persecuted for expressing an opinion that uh, it was uh, quite common amongst every single human being up to quite recently. So uh, it's an amazing thing, the level of bigotry and the level of intolerance of the radical left that seems to have basically taken over most of these institutions of higher education in this country. Therefore, turning us in a sort of laughing stock of the world, because if I send this, what I know about the universities in Australia to the world, we will be seen as a place where true academic freedom and uh, freedom of intellectual inquiry, is they are both actually dead in this country. Well, uh, Australian universities, the laughing stock of the world. Now, I understand there's lots of money spent uh, to try and improve the academic standing of Australia's universities because, in actual fact, the uh, number of uh, international students that study in Australia when times are normal uh, outside of COVID-19 where there's some challenges there. But lots of money is spent promoting our academic institutions here in Australia. And if we become the laughing stock of the world, Augusto, then that's a very costly thing for the economic status of universities in Australia. Absolutely, because uh, some people will basically give up of sending their kids uh, if they um, are foreigners. Uh, and, uh, and some of our own people here in Australia are not going to send their kids to be indoctrinated by these people and learning, for instance, gender studies, which will basically render these students unemployable when they they get their degree. I would never employ in my job a person who is prone to cause these sort of issues because ultimately what an employer really wants is an employee who knows how to do the job without causing tension and disruption. Uh, I've, I really fear that some of these uh, professors are not really uh, training the, their students to be uh, productive members of society, but also, but uh, in particular, to be troublemakers and uh, disrupting uh, the peace of the community. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson, a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Well, I think if you've been listening over the last uh, 15, 20 minutes, you'll know this is an important conversation today to, as I suggested a little earlier, lean into the radio. Uh, Don't miss a single thought or word because uh, very important things we're talking about. I do want to invite you to join in our conversation, our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. And you can respond to that Facebook question today. Can you trust any research from our universities if researchers are afraid to tell the truth? Uh, At the moment, uh, as the voting goes on that poll, 29% are saying yes and 71% are saying no. Uh, that's an interesting one. I'll uh, I'll get you to save some thoughts on that, Augusto Zimmerman, uh, as to as our conversation continues to 
uh, to develop. Uh, let me, before we take some calls, uh, let me ask you though, uh, the need to expose these sorts of issues that are going on because uh, we've had some conversations in past times around Western civilization and who's, who's afraid to teach about Western civilization or the, the instance of political ideology that emanates out of the Chinese uh, communist political system uh, dominating some areas of our uh, academic institutions. So these sorts of things are not necessarily new. They're, we've got to be exposing these things all of the time. Yes, we, we have to expose and, and also bear in mind that the Chinese government has their own centers in some of these universities to promote their communistic ideology. And also in some places, including here in, in uh, Western Australia, at the University of Western Australia, they have the Islamic centers. And some of these centers receive money from uh, peoples and uh, probably even regimes from uh, the Middle East. And certainly is, is the case of, uh, of um, the ANU uh, having Islamic center receiving money from some uh, very rogue uh, regimes in the Middle East. So um, when uh, we had the attempt to create a center for Western civilization that would promote the values of the rule of law, the Western values of uh, uh, women's rights and, and uh, individual rights and freedoms and limited government, the universities opposed the attempt uh, because they thought that these ideas of promoting these values wouldn't be uh, useful and productive, and they uh, uh, basically shut down the whole project. Augusto, some comments appearing on our Facebook poll today, and uh, one that really comes around the idea we're talking about academic freedom, perhaps uh, in the university context, uh, but I suppose if you're talking educational context, some of these same principles apply to our schools, uh, secondary schools, even primary schools. Well, uh, one listener, Monique, says, I lost my job as a primary school teacher because I told the children in my year one class in term four of 2016 that Christmas was about Jesus and not about Santa. None of the students knew the answer to my question. Who was born 2016 years ago? The principal said that I was preaching and because I was still on probation as a new graduate, he did all he could after that to make bad comments about my teaching. Uh, this sort of thing, we talk about uh, academic persecution. That's another example of that. Uh, absolutely. And... Um Perhaps one of the solutions for uh, the families in this country is the voucher system, where if you don't have uh, the financial uh, ability or capacity to send your kids to a, a good uh, Christian school, the government could sponsor you because that would be less expensive than to run, to run these uh, uh, public schools. I think it would be a matter of giving more freedom to the families to choose the place where they want their kids to go to learn properly and to receive proper education. That's point number one. Point number two, I would say that we have a terrible national curriculum. Uh, and unfortunately, I should blame the Liberal Party for that because they have been in power for such a long time and they insist in, in keeping the uh, national curriculum. It's a very dangerous idea to have such a totalitarian idea that every single children will have to learn in accordance with the same school.
school curriculum imposed by the federal government, imposed by the Minister of Education. And uh, the curriculum was initially designed by the member, a former member of the Communist Party of Australia, Professor Stuart McIntyre. It's a whitewash of the crimes committed by communism. As you know, this uh, dreadful ideology has killed at least 100 million people in the 20th century alone. There is no reference to the Christian faith, at least in a positive way, in this curriculum. I think Christianity is mentioned only in a negative fashion. But there is also, uh, I think in year 10, if I'm not wrong, because I have written a report on the subject, uh, there is a, a, a topic in praises, and basically praises of the Islamic faith and uh, telling the students certain lies, such as that the Enlightenment and all the good things that uh, we have in the West were imported from the Islamic, uh, Islamic culture, which is absurd and bizarre. It's a blatant lie. And it also tells how tolerant and how wonderful the Islamic faith is. So this national curriculum is actually brainwashing our kids to become uh, sympathetic to a different religion and to ultimately embrace the radical environmentalist agenda in year 12. So it's not a proper uh, curriculum. It's actually political, ideological indoctrination. Uh, disguised in the... In the a school curriculum. Interestingly, and a little diversion here to issues around religious freedom, because this is one of the freedoms. If we talk about all of these different dimensions of freedom, and we're talking freedom of speech and academic freedom, but religious freedom is all very much a part of that. And when you start talking about communism and you start talking about uh, Islam, uh, religious freedom, these issues are far from over in Australia, Augusto. Uh, we're still waiting, and COVID-19, has slowed things down in the debate there around religious freedoms but uh, we've still got all of this ahead of us and with all of these things that are happening right now they're illustrative of just how important it is for the government to get something right with religious freedom what are your thoughts on developments around that so far well look i, I i'm very uh, worried that uh, rather than obtaining what we really want that is religious freedom we might, this whole process might be taken over by uh, intolerance who will uh, uh, use the religious freedom banner to impose blasphemy law in this country. I know that some, I'll give an example of this. Uh, this government has been so incompetent that they have been unable to repeal or to amend Section 18C, 18C of the a discrimination Act. And this section, as I have proven together with my colleagues, uh, Lorraine Feeling and Joshua Forrester, is utterly unconstitutional for two reasons. It's violate, it violates the external affairs power, and it cannot be uh, uh, valid because it uh, violates also the implied freedom of political communication. So a government that's uh, not so much concerned about protecting free speech. I'm really uh, makes me very suspicious uh, that it might not be able to do a good job when it comes to religious freedom, and it would be the wrong way to go if we create protection from free speech uh, to religious people. I want the religious freedom 
uh, bill to be based on the idea of extending rights and freedoms that have been stolen from the people of this country. I would like to see these rights and freedoms be restored and given back to the people. And academic freedom here is so important because when we have MPs elected to office, they come to power and they have to rely on the research that's coming out of our great academic institutions, uh, oftentimes in the way that they might navigate the way forward. So wise decisions are dependent on good, sound, solid research. And so this brings us back to the value of uh, freedom when it comes to academic freedom in research because uh, if you can't trust the research, you can't navigate the way forward. If you haven't got a balance, uh, one research paper says one thing, another has a counter-argument. If you haven't got the balance uh, and then the ability to distinguish what's truth, you can't you can't navigate the way forward. That's how important all of this is, Augusto. Absolutely, and you can only uh, find out the truth through debate and through discussion. And when you have these uh, elites using the law to silence debate on the grounds of, you know, uh, pr- pr- protecting people from being criticized. This is actually tyranny, and it is uh, undermining democracy even in this country. But more than that, the pursuit of the truth is what leads, uh, leads to counters to de- economic development and prosperity. So I'm really worried about this uh, uh, suppression of freedom of speech, I am worried that this is going to hinder our economic development or social progress. Uh, Let me just ask you about how long it might take before this Peter Ridd case uh, to be heard in the High Court. Any idea around timings? Because oftentimes it takes quite a long time to get there. I can't give you a precise date for uh, the special leave to be granted. And um, I expect that in the next months this might happen. It's not going to happen tomorrow or in one week. It takes uh, a time. Um, the, that is up to the court to make a decision regarding the special leave. That's not to say that he's going to win the case, but that, that's, that's to say that the high court will consider or entertain the matter. And I think the High Court should do so because this is a a very important uh, decision that the court will be making. As I have uh, uh, stated, that the future of academic freedom in this country necessarily depends on this uh, decision of the High Court. It'll be an important uh, deliberation and an important decision uh, if that and when that is forthcoming. Hey, let's take a call or two. David is on the line from Perth in WA. Hello, David. Welcome. Yes, hello. Um, I've been listening to the attack on academic freedom and I hope that you're all well today. Yes, thank you. Um, I offered a solution, I think, um, with this uh, gradual and erosion of freedom is um, a very simple thing, is that uh, universities offer a, a consumer product, which is education, and looking at it as a consumer product, um, it is a consumer product because um, it's uh, one of our biggest earners in GDP um, uh, internationally and internationally. Um, would it be expedient with someone with, with lots of professional experience to um, 
give them a critique, like with kosher food or halal food or vegan food, just give them a uh, sort of a stamp of how well they're doing in academic freedom. And then a consumer can look at the university and say, well, actually that's a very low standard or that's a high standard. I'll send my children to that university. And that way you're um, sort of pointing the right way for the consumer to consume the product. David, you're coming up with some great uh, suggestions here. The idea of an academic freedom index. And so if you were the number one university in Australia at the top of the academic freedom index, uh, as you say, consumers will be able to tell where you are on the index. Now, if you happen to be uh, number uh, uh, 59, uh, you're not going to look very free at all. Uh, Let's get a, a thought or two here from Augusto Zimmerman. Augusto, what are your thoughts for David? Uh, I think it is a, a good idea. The only problem is that uh, we would have the universities accessing themselves, and, uh, and that might not be uh, a proper way to go. Uh, you, you see, for instance, I'll give an example now. Uh, Chief Justice, uh, the former Chief Justice of Australia, is currently the, cha- the Chancellor. And he wrote a report that was pretty good, by the way, about uh, uh, the problems with uh, free speech on campuses in Australia. Uh, the chancellors basically denied that uh, most of them, uh, the vice chancellors, better say, that there is such a problem, or if, if there is such a problem, the universities are doing very well, and, and uh, that wouldn't apply to, to themselves. Uh, so they tend to deny the problem. I think what you need to have is an external uh, source to provide this uh, particular kind of information. And uh, this is already happening. I have the good news. Uh, I know a person called Matthew Leach, who used to work at the IPA. Uh, I'm not so sure if he's still there, but he used to uh, prepare a report uh, every year, an audit of academic freedom in Australia, and he would access every single university in this country on the basis of uh, upholding academic freedom and freedom of speech. So such an investigation and such a report and inquiry has already taken place. And uh, for those who are interested to know more about each university is really upholding uh, academic freedom and what are those who are not, uh, you should definitely have a look at this uh, particular document. But what I can tell you, just to finish this uh, point, is that unfortunately the uh, report tells us a very depressing story. It's basically that the vast majority, the almost totality of the universities in this country have policies that undermine freedom of speech. Well, uh, there's an answer for you, David. There already is a report released each year. And uh, I think you said Matthew Leach, Augusto. Uh, yes. Uh, not mm-hmm. sure if he's still with the IPA, but uh, if you were Googling yes. Matthew Leach, you might come up with that report and get some insights into where universities stand with academic freedom here in Australia. David, thank you so much for your call. We're taking calls on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's hear from another David's in Mackay, Queensland. Hi, David. Welcome. Good morning. Uh, yes, just mm-hmm. from personal experience, I would be very concerned about uh, taking notice of uh, the uh, universities if uh, going on what I've heard and experienced. 
everyone would know that uh, DuPont uh, had a patent on R12 refrigerant many years ago. And, uh, and American patents, I think, last for about 20 years or something. And, and this patent was about to run out. Now, I should say that R12 refrigerant at that stage, well, in my apprenticeship course, we're told it was a colourless, harmless, odourless, tasteless gas, which didn't affect anything. And uh, it, it always floated on the ground. If, if you lost it, uh, you'd pick up the trace of the refrigerant from the ground. Now, we were told, of course, that later on that uh, this came out, that uh, R12 was severely affected the ozone layer. And uh, supposedly, part of this gas broke up, even though it was a complete composition. We're told, apparently, component of this refrigerant uh, got up to the atmosphere and affected the ozone layer. And, of course, we all had to do courses, and R12 was banned. Uh, the price skyrocketed first off, and then it was totally banned. And um, it was uh, always able to carry the oil, and there wasn't any problems with lubricating the system. Anyway, uh, through all this then, as I said, DuPont's patent had been going that long. It was about to expire. Now, I did the course... Uh, so I had to do with my trade, and uh, I, I, I found it very hard to sort of understand how supposedly part of this gas got up the atmosphere when it was you find it all complete gas on the ground, you know. And uh, but anyway, um, then I had a fellow from uh, he, he got a little bit involved in refrigeration, and he told me he's. His mate in Brisbane had seen an ABC program where three scientists had been come to tears virtually and said we had to say it affected the ozone layer because he said DuPont funds our research. And they were just about broken because they'd like, you know, to, to cover that. And, and that's why I would be very concerned about, uh, because, again, it costs so many people thousands of dollars. David, you're making some pretty uh, significant points here. The mm -hmm. idea that scientists will lie in order to, uh, to uh, be obedient to those who are in control, who want to maintain funding. Uh, your thoughts for David and, the, and that story, Augusto? Well, I, I think it's an uh, important point, very important that he has just uh, made. Uh, we have to um, understand that uh, uh, the, these particular academic facing uh, these uh, uh, now um, application for special leave, he was subject to um, many confidentiality directions, was subject to uh, censor given to him, including emails uh, telling him to uh, be quiet, basically. And um, and some uh, academics are forced to be quiet because they want to keep their jobs. And some students also are approached by university administrations after making comment in class. I will not refer to the university, but I know one of my friends, a student of law, who was told by the student in university administration that he had uh, made uh, comments about the Bill League cartoon that Bill Lick cartoon that eventually uh, ultimately caused the uh, uh, undermining of his health, and he passed away as a result. But this student complained about um, uh, the persecution of Bill Lick and, and also said that, that uh, 
particular cartoon conveyed a very important message to the community in terms of social justice. But that was interpreted by one of his colleagues in class as offensive. No reason was given uh, to the uh, uh, feeling of feeling offended, you know, the, the idea that this person felt offended by the comments made by uh, his fellow colleague. And this person was subject to a terrible process of, uh, of inquiry, persecution, a very inquisitorial fashion, and end up having to sign a document saying that he is no longer going to speak in such a manner and that this matter cannot be disclosed to the general public. So it was an internal process that prevents this person from speaking out uh, what he thinks about certain important issues and um, ultimately uh, also signing a document that makes him un unable to disclose the persecution that he has suffered at that particular institution. David from Mackay, thank you so much for your contribution. Our talkback line remains open, 1-800-316-316. You can also respond to the Facebook question we have on our Facebook page today, asking, can you trust any research from our universities if researchers are afraid to tell the truth? And I've got to say, numbers are tightening a little bit there. 20% are saying, yes, you can trust the research. And 80% now, that number rising, saying, no, you can't trust any research. Uh, so uh, you can find that question at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Augusto, let me ask you here, because while we've introduced our conversation today by telling the story of Professor Peter Ridd, uh, you are of the understanding that there are hundreds of academics around Australia right now that are facing the same issue. Hundreds of academics. That would be shocking for listeners. Well, look, uh, it's uh, uh, very clear that this university has decided to punish uh, Professor Reed precisely for speaking what uh, we could regard as an inconvenient truth, because as I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, he spoke out uh, in a way that differs from the dogmatic consensus of the academic elite. But what I have to say to you is that uh, the university claims that these uh, uh, ultimate appeal that you know uh, he's making is necessary to, according to Professor Reed, to uh, resolve this matter because the university in question is being brought into disruption. It's being uh, is being uh, uh, defamed as a result, which is quite an ironic position because, as a matter of fact. Uh, by uh, persecuting Professor Reed or having an issue with him, it is the actions of the university itself that are uh, actually ultimately bringing this university into disrepute. But uh, as an academic who has been an academic in this country for, let's say, 20 years now, I have experienced myself some uh, uh, oppression and intimidation, bullying. And sometimes this can come from emails that, that sometimes can come from uh, people addressing you, telling you to be more careful. And what I'm telling you is that before he had to go to the court, he collected the necessary evidence. There were uh, hundreds of documents, letters, I don't know, many documents, even official documents sent to him uh, trying to actually tell him to be quiet. 
and to stop uh, causing problems because his theory contradicted the dogmatic assumptions of researchers that perhaps are far less competent than Professor Reed himself. Wow. Uh, interesting little uh, point to make here because uh, Professor Reed, uh, he was ultimately sacked because he went public. Uh, with criticism of his colleagues. I wonder if you've got some insights, Augusto, into how university processes might work if they're going to be trying to come up with some sort of uh, level of consensus on an issue. And, of course, climate change very divisive. But uh, the idea of going public uh, and going beyond what might happen with an internal uh, tension between different research arguments. Uh, is there that sort of, uh, you know, is that sort of uh, exploration by way of debate within the university an acceptable way of saying that's in itself a freedom? But if you go public with your rogue view, uh, then that's when you've stepped over the line. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on, on how there might be different levels here? Yes, that, well, I think it is all solved by the fact that we need to have uh, robust uh, debate and discussions on, on matters that are relevant to the community and to the society at large. But um, uh, we don't win a debate by harassing and suing people. Uh, I think the only way you can uh, uh, have uh, the development of ideas Social and socioeconomic progress is by allowing the debate to be free. And people, of course, uh, are being free to do research, to develop their ideas in an environment where they can actually feel comfortable that they are not going to have to face the risk of being, of being brought to a court in order to uh, have to, um, uh, you know, after spending a fortune with lawyers, uh, be able to be vindicated. Uh, the cost of litigation in this uh, matter is astronomical because lawyers are very expensive. But you never win the debate uh, using the courts. Uh, the debate can only be uh, won through reasonable argument and civility. Okay, running out of time for our conversation, I do want to ask you, and uh, listeners will know, I always like to have somewhere to point listeners uh, to deepen their understanding about the sorts of things we're talking about. And I know you have a number of articles that people may be able to access through the West Australian Legal Theory Association website, walter.net.au, and uh, you're published in a number of different uh, publications. But uh, just uh, the the universities that you're a part of, uh, Sheridan College in Perth, a Baptist Foundation, uh, also uh, University of Notre Dame, Australia, that's got more a Catholic foundation, uh, but uh, but courses that talk about these sorts of free, uh, of freedoms of uh, foundations of constitutional government. You've got some courses coming up that you you know you can promote. Uh, free kick here for you, Augusto. Uh, what's coming up that listeners might be able to take advantage of in deepening their understanding about these issues? Well, look, uh, this is a very important point, Neil. And by the way, uh, Sheridan is now uh, called Sheridan Institute of Higher Education. Uh, we have changed now recently the name, uh, just a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> so Sheridan is now Sheridan Institute of Higher Education. And um, I, what, what you're referring to is very important. Um, that's why I have 
decided to develop a course on foundations of constitutional government because you have to uh, consider what's happening in Victoria and even in other states across this country. It's the undermining of constitutional government. It's the undermining of our constitutional rights and freedoms. If you wish to protect this nation against arbitrary government, I would strongly recommend you to do my course. It's called Foundations of Constitutional Government, and it's going to be uh, taught as from September, September the 8th. And if you wish to know more about this, you should go to the website of Sheridan, which provides the whole information about this course that will be run uh, every Tuesday evening. And it is a course about our traditions of constitutional government, the legal protection necessary for our individual rights and freedoms. It will teach you the institutions of government and how can powers can be exercised in this country. The powers that the Commonwealth has and the powers that the state possess in accordance with the Constitution and placing these powers under the limits and the regulations of the Constitution makes us a country under the rule of law. <coughs> Pardon me. So uh, is that going to be streamed online, Augusto? Listeners, uh, wherever they are around Australia, can they participate in that course? Well, look, I have to give the bad news in this sense, because Sheridan has a policy that uh, we have uh, so far uh, decided to have only uh, the physical presence of students. So to enroll in this class, you need to be living in Western Australia, unfortunately. But I have the dream and the goal to release these materials to the people of this country as soon as I finish my course. But if you want to have an experience of having my teaching and very good material, on the topics such as the rule of law, constitutional government, to know your rights and freedoms in this country, including religious freedom and free speech, you should definitely enroll in this course, and I will do something now to the public. I will actually have an open lecture for my first lecture, so you can have this experience of having my lecture, and if you appreciate this, then can enroll in my course. Okay, so it's going to be primarily for people who are in Western Australia that will be able to take advantage of that opportunity. Go to the Sheridan website, uh, now called the Sheridan Institute of Higher Education in Perth and uh, check out that lecture, the first one happening on September the 8th, uh, talking about foundations of constitutional government. Uh, just go to the Sheridan website to uh, get the details there. Uh, you've got yeah. a number of books. Uh, Neil, yep. Neil uh, in, I think they could email uh, the person who is responsible for inquiries, and it is at inquiries, inquiries at sheridan.edu.au. Inquiries at sheridan.edu.au. Okay, inquiries at sheridan.edu.au and uh, you can uh, follow uh, Augusto Zimmerman a number of different ways. The West Australian Legal Theory Association website, walter.net.au and uh, he's published in a lot of different publications. Uh, great getting your insights as always. An important conversation today and I want to appreciate you very much, Professor Augusto Zimmerman. Thank you so much for being with us on 2020. Thank you so much, Neil. It was wonderful. And I, uh, your listeners, I have a message to you. The price of liberty is eternal vigilance. We have to be vigilant. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 